Hooray for Hollywood. That screwy bolly hooey Hollywood. Where any office boy or young mechanic can be a panic with just a good looking pan. And any barmaid could be a star maid if she dances with or without a fan. First of all, what the hell is a Bollyhood? Bollyhood? Hood? Who knows? And what the freak is a good looking pan? I mean, you've got to be a, you got to have good cooking wear to make it in Hollywood or something. I don't get it. Song doesn't make any sense. You know what does make sense? Death by camera on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer And action. It is I, your director, Insane Mike, and this is episode 231 of Attack of the Killer podcast. This episode we call Death by Camera. What's that mean? Well, we will be discussing movies where maniacs and psychos use cameras in their evil deeds. A character trait that can be used as, say, like a device through the eyes of the killer or used as a satirical commentary on movie making. And not all the films we'll be discussing are even found footage. So there's that. Now, Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends, we get together, we talk about what we love, horror movies, and we usually do it within like a certain topic. We talk about it so casually that we even forget we're recording a podcast. At least Tad does anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so there may be spoilers. You've been warned. One of the films we'll be talking about tonight is very meta throughout it, throughout in a way that has never been done before. And one of the themes within the movie covers the current trend of crowdfunding to create one's art while also being a film that is also crowdfunded. Speaking of funding, <laughs> you can help support the show by becoming what we refer to as an attacker. An attacker is a very special class of fans where that helps support the show. However, being an attacker does not go unrewarded. You can get all kinds of different bonuses, bonus content for being an attacker. Bonus. You can get... Yes, you can get your very own membership card and official certificate. There are also bonus episodes, so you can get the show every single week instead of every other week like those normies. Uh, we also have different video series that you can get as well. There's Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten list, video updates, and killer critiques. But that's not all you can get. Check out all we have to offer for yourself. So go to the site, jointheattackers.com. There you'll see all the different tiers with all the different stuff that you can get. So join the Killer Podcast family by going to jointheattackers.com and help support the show. Well, we'll look at the time. That's right. It's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. He's a big Lord of the Rings fan. He's always Tolkien about it. Jason. <laughs> I like it. And it's true. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. 
He was working on this one movie as a set designer, but he was quickly fired for making a scene. Tad! Hey guys, thanks for listening. He bought a bootleg copy of the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. He thinks someone filmed it in a theater because he can see a little silhouette of a man. Andy! (laughs) Pretty good one. (laughs) Hi, how's it going? Hey, at least it wasn't something about chips. Chip. Oh, yeah, because he's always the one to bring the bag of chips. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I am so pumped, guys. How pumped are you? I am so pumped. This summer will be the release of the lost George Romero film, Amusement Park. Ooh. I know. I am a huge, as everybody knows, I'm a huge George Romero fan, especially like the 70s and early 80s era George Romero. And so I have been going crazy ever since the George Romero, George A. Romero foundation announced that there was this lost Romero film that's, that's getting ready to hit the public. And now this summer we will get to see it. And when it is streaming in the, uh, all over the world, it'll be streaming on only one place. You know what that's going to be? Where, where? Shudder. Shudder. The Netflix for horror. If you are a fan of horror at all, you should be watching Shudder from their lives from their live stream to their huge catalog of films, shows and original programming. There is something for every horror fan. You need to get signed up for Shudder today. If getting to see Amusement Park, George Romero's lost movie, isn't enough to convince you, how about you try a month for free on us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. That's right, we are giving you a month of Shudder for free. To get that free month, just simply enter our promo code AOTKP and you'll get your first month for free. I'm not sure they get it. There's a ton of awesome stuff on Shudder. There is. Name 12. Well, number one, Joe Bob. That's one through 12 right there. Exactly. What else do you need? (laughs) (laughs) They have also, I was excited, I have yet to sit down and do it yet, but they have a they just put on a crap ton of Jalo. Oh, of I know. Movies. Yeah. You don't get that crap on Netflix. No. So again, that promo code is AOTKP. And hey. Yeah, I say I, I say Netflix is the um, boring shutter, not shutters the Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Again, promo code AOTKP. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you just let us know what you're watching on Shutter? And speaking of what you've been watching, it's time to talk about what we've been watching with what we watched with Tad. What we watched. Well, we're in an exciting time. It's just about Oscar season. They were actually announced on today, the day we're recording this. Um, And I'm guessing that... Nothing the rest of you have watched was nominated, but uh, let's kick it over to Andy. What have you watched? Um, I didn't watch a whole lot. I didn't get a lot in as much as I would like to, but I would like to talk about two films. One's not necessarily horror, but it's a Clint Eastwood flick called Richard Jewell. Have any of you guys so seen this? So good. Yeah, it's it had me fooled like most oh. of the way. I mean, I was convinced that this Richard Jewell character was responsible <laughs> for all this, you know, because I didn't, you know, thankfully, because um, the wife and I watched it, 
Um, I was convinced that, uh, uh, spoilers people, uh, I was convinced that this guy had done this, but uh, apparently he was wrongly confused by, uh, uh, wrongly, uh, not convicted, but uh, accused. accused. Accused, thank you. Um, he was wrongly accused by everybody, including, you know, local police, the FBI, the public, the press. And if you look into this guy's past, you can kind of see why they were thinking that way. But uh, it's Ro- Robert Hauser. Uh, I think that's the guy who plays Richard Jewell. He played... Um, Another uh, heavy set character in I Tanya, and he's in uh, the second season of Cobra Kai. I think he plays Stingray. Oh, God. he's actually a great uh, comedic actor, but he's actually a really good just actor in general. Uh, it's a really good movie. Sam Rockwell, Olivia Wilde. Sam Rockwell in this is amazing. I love his character. He's hilarious. Um. Highly, highly recommend this movie. Uh, if if it's it's on HBO Max right now, but I think it's like leaving sometime pretty really soon. So, uh, but if not, watch it someplace else because you won't regret it. And Kathy Bates is in this, and she's Mama. always yeah, she's always amazing. Um, John John Hamm. Um, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> But that that's really good. And then, just to please Tad, I watched a really, really uh, old uh, movie from the 80s. It is called Aerobicides, Aerobicide, and it's also called Killer Workout. Yes, Killer Workout. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, dip me in dog shit. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Um, it's one of those so, so bad it's good movies. I can't tell you like any. Marcia Carr is in it, and she was in a lot of. Uh, I think she was in Savage Streets and like uh, Chained Heat and stuff like that. But the this has literally got to be the weirdest damn um, exercise studio I've ever seen in my life. Like it's got like staircases and stuff. Um, but um, the the eye candy in this is actually pretty good for the eighties. Uh, uh, the the kills are very very different uh, because I don't know how you're going to kill somebody with a giant safety pin. But okay, um, it's it, I mean the movie's just really really laughable, and I think that's why I'm I enjoyed it so much. I mean we could riff tracks the living shit out of this thing. Um, I think most of the budget was spent on members only jackets and uh, Aquanet and uh, leg warmers. Um, oh man, don't don't say members only <laughs> jackets. Now Brandy's going to want to watch it. Oh yeah, there's at least there there's got to be a few of them in there, and it's got this. It's, it's got such a typical cop trope in it. You know, it's just like he's got lines, and he's like, "I'm just doing my job, and I'm going to get to the bottom of this." Um, uh, I have sunglasses on and I'm determined, you know, it's just like that kind of (laughs) stupid, goofy shit that I'm just, I'm watching it and I'm just like, God damn. I just like, this is like murdering my eyes, but I can't look away. But, uh, yes, uh, killer workout. Uh, if you, if you want a, uh, good laugh and, um, 
Yeah, and it's everybody's very, very fit that I noticed in this, and it's only got one really heavy set person riding like a stationary bike at the very end of the movie, which is makes it even funnier. So it's directed by David A. Pryor, um, where bad movie fans would know um, uh, the movie Deadly Prey. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like, I've heard of it. It's a pretty infamous bad movie, so much so that a few years back, because of its cult badness status, he ended up making a, a sequel to it called Deadliest Prey. This it also I will say that uh, if you when you if you ever watch this, and I hope you do, and I'm sorry, you know, preemptively. Uh, Freddy Krueger will have a girlfriend in this in this movie. I'll just say that she's uh, she's very burnt and very naked. So, all right, uh, Jason, <laughs> what have you watched? <laughs> well, let's see. I actually haven't watched a movie since the last episode. I've been watching a TV what? show. Wow! And uh, I guess I'll go back to this. So. Over the last few years, uh, I've been. You, you, I know a lot of you guys have listened to Postmortem with Mick Garris. I mean, it's a yep fantastic podcast. And just over the last few years, um, he has had a lot of guests from a movie that he did called The Stand. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're watching the news? And so I. Uh, in my head over the last couple of years, every time he'd have a guest on or he'd always talk about it and the stuff he's filmed. And I would think, you know, I need to go back and watch that. And I just hadn't got around to it. And then recently getting Paramount plus the newsstand. Here's the thing, guys. I, the thing I want to do the least is oversell it. So please listen to this next sentence, the grain of salt from the guy who loves everything. But, this might be the best TV show I've ever seen, ever. <laughs> oh, my God. This is so awesome. Oh, my gosh. It's so amazing and great, and I loved it so much, and I don't even know where to start. I mean, last weekend, I watched the first couple episodes, and then every night ever night since then, I'd watch one episode a night. There's nine episodes. They're maybe 45 to 55 minutes long, and I... Just loved it. And I'm afraid that it's going to be a thing relating to our last bonus episode. <laughs> they have to defend that it. I'm going to have to defend it. And I don't know why. I'm just, I'm afraid of that because I love it so much. But this show was incredible. I mean, all I, I was going to be like, because one word, whoopee, whoopee Goldberg. <laughs> See, sold it. No, but it's got Alexander Skarsgård as Randall Flagg, Amber Heard's in it. It's got Greg Kinnear and Does Joe Bob show up. And uh, nope, James Marsden yeah, and um, it Johnny Smith. I just was in. I was just. I loved it. I was so involved and uh, into it, and I just I couldn't remember the original enough to remember exactly how it was going to go, and so that was really fun. I don't, so I don't even know how close to the book and or other one they did, but guys, I'm telling you, please watch it. Well, I'm glad they found somebody who enjoyed it. See, that's don't oh. say that. Don't have you watched it yet? <laughs> Are you just no, trying I to get haven't. me stirred up, you son of a bitch? A little bit of that, and the, yeah. the uh, three <laughs> yeah. people are so surprise I know. There. 
the three or so people I know that have watched it um, have had mixed to negative things to say. But uh, I'm sorry you have terrible friends, but <laughs> you're my friend. Uh, I know, terrible. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, can't recommend it enough on Paramount Plus. It's uh, freaking wonderful. I loved it. I loved it. It's 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 really great. And there's tons of blood and gore and scary and it's definitely all of Stephen King's awesomeness. And I don't even want to watch the Mick Garris one again. Like it can't. I you probably. I mean, but, here's, I'm yeah. just gonna say I love the Mick Garris version. I'm saying okay. that out loud, very loudly right now. I love the Mick Garris version. But yeah, I it's gonna be. You know, it's it would be a hard 90s rewatch. made yep. for television, yep. CBS commercial television for yep. crying out loud. Yeah. So it's probably going to be, it's like comparing the original it to the new it as far as visually, financially and whatnot. So. Yep. And this one definitely has cursing and a little nudity, but a lot of gore and, um, it definitely, oh, it just, I loved it guys. The stand. Let me know what Is you that think. All you watch. That's it. That's me. Okay. Well, let's kick it over to Mike. Last but not least. This is weird. Like, Jason has next to n- nothing, and I had to narrow mine down to three. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with the uh, one that I want to talk about the least. Um, uh, Brandy and I, Brandy's been on this like big Lynn Shay kick lately, which is awesome because Lynn Shay's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but she likes going down certain rabbit holes of. Uh-huh you know, things that, you know, certain actresses will agree to do just about any movie to get a paycheck. So we watched Midnight Man from 2016. Now, now I, I set that up badly. It's not a, it's not a bad movie. It doesn't always necessarily my cup of tea, but it, it had some really cool scenes, but basically there's this game that you play and it summons this creature known as the Midnight Man. And he uses your fears to kill you and that kind of stuff. And it also has Robert England in it. So it, so it's got that going for it. So and midnight man from 2016. Um, there's like only like five or six different movies called midnight man. So it's the one from 2016. If you want to watch it, I just love that. We're two episodes in a row. You start with Brandy made me watch this and I didn't. That's like it. not at all what I said. <laughs> It's oh, not I what I said it. at all. I love it. She did not make me watch it. Right, no, it. it's Lynn Shea. Of course you want to watch it. Heck yeah. Um, oh, man, which one do I want to talk about? Because the next two I'm really excited about, uh, just because these these are more my speed. Um, I'm going to go with the most outrageous one. I watched the 1990 film The Suckling, first time watch. Huh. Oh, this movie was great. I remember seeing like, you know, little bits in like Gore Zone about this movie when it was being made or, you know, whatever. And I always saw the creature, the, you know, they would always highlight the creature and it was a cool looking creature design. Looked like a decent um decent uh creature costume. Um basically the suckling. Here we go. You guys ready? A pregnant woman is convinced to go to an illegal abortion clinic and is drugged and is given an abortion against her will. Um, but this is no ordinary abortion clinic. It's also a brothel. Now her aborted fetus is flushed down the toilet, lands in some toxic waste in the sewer, oh, and no. this causes the fetus to mutate and and grow in size and rise up from the toilet to attack everybody in the clinic. Oh no. Yes, yes, yes. 
Oh, this movie is sleazy, sleazy fun. Um, very, very politically incorrect, obviously. Um, very touchy subject material, but I found it um, so much fun. So, um, so sleazy. Uh, it was filmed in New York, obviously, and totally, totally falls into that category of low budget 80s sleazy New York films like Street Trash, Basket Case, and stuff. So, it's just, it's just right in that wheelhouse. And, I loved every minute of it. The um, the mon- like the toxic toddler Avenger or yeah, something to that effect. Okay. Uh, kind of almost reminded me a little bit more. Not necessarily the creature design, but you know, when I think of this plot line, I think of you know the uh, the little fetus that gets flushed down the toilet in class in Newcomb High. <clears throat> but the uh, rubber monster suit is just obviously way too cool for this movie. Um, very cool design. The transformation sequence was was a lot of fun too. And watching it like grow from a little tiny aborted fetus into this like monstrosity creature. <laughs> and the ending, I'm not going to give it away, but you can watch this on Tubi, and you need to for the climactic ending. And you'll learn how the woman survives. Um, the the mother, I guess you could say, survives this ordeal. Um, the last movie I'll bring up is a movie, uh, from 2016 that Brandy and I watched called bad Ben. Anybody heard of this at all? I'm going to assume. No, it sounds familiar for some reason. Um, if, well, where did we watch this? Was it, maybe it was on Tubi as well. It was either on Tubi or prime. And as we found this movie, we had found that the filmmaker had made seven movies in this franchise. So maybe you've come across the title somewhere at some point. But uh, it's from 2016. It's a found footage film directed, produced, edited, written, and starring only one man, Nigel Bach. It is the most minimalistic movie I've ever seen. A budget of $300 filmed completely in Nigel's home. Um, basically the story is, well, it's not much of a story, but a man buys a house to flip and then he realizes that something sinister is going on in this house. So, you know, it's very found footagey, very paranormal activity, but I think it's done really, really well considering what we're talking about here. One man making a movie, um, with no budget. Um, and I really loved and appreciated it for that. And it really got me into it. I found, I found he did some, now it's, you know, it's not like, you know, any, you know, masterpiece of filmmaking by any stretch of the imagination. It's obviously a $300 movie made by one man. Um, but I was never bored. Uh, it's only an hour and 26 minutes. I thought it does a pretty good job giving you giving you something with literally nothing. Uh, the only time I really kind of found myself bored, but I was actually more in shock and awe than I was pure boredom. Um, by the time we get to the end of the second act, when um, shit starts hitting the fan, then we cut to a five-minute scene of him doing lawn work which Brandy and I laughed about because we thought this is him just filming himself doing his normal chores. And he decided to, uh, pad out the running time of his movie. Um, um, but there's, there's like some things, there's some interesting things that he does with, uh, building the backstory, um, with very little detail and not filling in all the holes in the backstory to give you the full story. Uh, that definitely makes it, 
more intriguing and actually makes me want to check out the other films in, in his, um, um, bad Ben franchise. So, um, I, I maybe give it a little too much credit and Jason appreciate this because, um, I remember when I was in high school, I tried to make a movie with just by me by myself. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you and all your friends. Yep. Uh, 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 it was called future pus future pus. And, it's so um, good, guys. I tried making this movie to embarrassing results. Um, and, and it's not good. Uh, and so the fact that this guy managed to pull off an hour and 26 minutes, um, I didn't fall asleep. I didn't hate it. I've actually found myself rather entertaining. The guy's no leading man by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, uh, I thought it was a fun watch and actually I'm kind of itching to watch more of the, more of his film. So that was what I want. Might want to get that checked out by a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Hey Chad, what'd you watch? Oh, I actually did watch a bunch of um, Oscar films in preparation for today's uh, nominations, but I will not talk much about them because that's not what people come to this podcast for. So uh, Andy actually uh, showed me a short documentary I really enjoyed on YouTube called Welcome Home, Mary Reber and the Twin Peaks Palmer House. Mm. And it's about the woman who now owns the um, Laura Palmer House from Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and The Return, uh, the actual homeowner who ended up in The Return and uh, tried to make sure I don't spoil anything. But basically... Uh, it's really simple, but it it talks about how she, the history of the home, the people who owned it and um, the history of filming there with uh, David Lynch and how she came to be in the new series and sort of behind the scenes stuff and stuff that she kept in the house original and how they flip it. And you get to see some of the making of and sort of how the stuff that you never really see on behind the scenes, as far as how they come into a house and cover the carpet with cardboard and relay new carpet on top of it. And, um, you know, basically to come in and, and change a house completely and then shoot for a week and, and flip it right back to where it was and leave. It's pretty insane. Um, but really cool, interesting documentary. The lady's pretty awesome. Um, I'm not sure how it's going now with COVID, but there was, a point where she's still on Instagram. You could just message her and tell her like, Hey, I'm going to be in town on Thursday. And she'd be like, cool, come on over. And she'll let you in the house and uh, (laughs) like dress up and cosplay and take, do photo shoots and all kinds of stuff. Her whole house has become a shrine. Like she has all kinds of artwork that um, fans have dropped off and given to her inside of the house and from twin peaks and stuff. And just a really cool, neat little documentary. It's like 25 minutes or something, but um, very insightful. And, other than that, uh, like I said, I watched a bunch of, I watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, I watched Nomadland, I watched The Trial of Chicago 7, One that Night in Miami. Um, I started to watch uh, Mank, but I knew I was going to fall asleep because it was too late and it's a long movie. Um, but the other day while I was doing some work on my laptop, I turned on uh, Pluto. The horror channel is awesome. It had... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, followed by Children of the Corn, followed by something. It's just like hit after hit, man. And it's like, you know, I've seen these movies so much, I don't even have to have the volume on. I just know it's what's happening. But uh, just love that, you know, I, I know we push Shudder on here, but if you're looking for a free app, too, that's really great. I really recommend Pluto. So, yeah, that's what I watched. 
Yeah, Pluto is awesome. I spend a lot of time there. I well, I mean, I always have something playing when I go to bed, and if I can't think of anything else, I'll just leave it on a Pluto channel. Usually, riff tracks. Yep. <laughs> or Mystery Science Theater. I love how both of them got their own channels. I mean, that's right? just what the 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 brilliance of Pluto TV. I have like the horror movie channel. I have um, Price is Right, uh, yep, Happy nice. Days. Yeah, Jason watched like uh, three hours of Price is Right with me last weekend. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. And then, uh, yeah, it, it, it is really insanely awesome because it's the 70s and 80s, Bob Barker. But um, Three's Company, like I just, I love the old show. So, oh, yeah. and one thing I did also watch uh, because I was a little short on my list. I've been um, catching back up with Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes on uh, Paramount Plus. And they, so, unfortunately, you don't have all of them. I went to like watch my favorite one and, and it's not on there, but uh, they do have the new series. So, I look forward once I catch up with movies um, to catch the new series because they just concluded season two of the reboot. So, hmm. oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you, Tad. Now, some people smoke cigarettes, mm. some people smoke pot. Mm hmm. Some people smoke barbecue. Oh, no. Here's Jason with pole position. That's gross. <laughs> From now on, like your parents were, you are the secret force of pole position. All right, pole position time. Let's take a look back to a past pole and let's see how Mikey did or didn't do. So For excited. episode 229, we asked, what is your favorite urban legend? And the people spoke. Uh-huh. Mike had the Mothman. Tad had the Hookman. Jason had Skinwalkers. Andy had Polybius. 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 Drumroll. Jason, last place. Oh. Aww. I know. Tied for second place. Uh, so then I'll just say the winner. I guess people have heard of the Hookman. Turns out. <laughs> Turns out Tad won that sucker. Ah, Tad won. Yep. So Insane and Andy both tied for second. You can't yeah. even say Andy's. How, how I know. everybody knows Mothman. Come on. Oh. Yeah, Mothman and Hookman to me like the two biggest ones. For sure. Well, you know, just figure out that Twitter already. I I guess I sold mine a little bit better. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it, huh? I guess I just have more fake Twitter accounts that can vote. That's also true, probably. <laughs> well, all right, let's get into this week's poll position. The question is, oh, and this one's so hard and difficult. I'm still not sure if I'm going to pick. <laughs> hard poll. Okay, so <laughs> the question is, what is your favorite movie poster? Oh, I know we've talked and for 10 years now about doing a poster episode and just about posters, but it's such a tough one to talk about as an audio podcast without showing them, but this is maybe a chance to do a little little bit of that. So, Insane Mike, you are up first. Okay, so um, I'm not going with the most obvious one that um, we all apparently thought. everybody else on this podcast thought I was going to go with. I actually decided to go with the original Evil Dead poster, the one with the woman crawling out of the the grave and the and the hand in the hand and that everything. That was in contention for me. I mean, the whole every one of the Evil Dead movies has is up there. 
Yeah, yeah, um, they all have great, great posters. Um, but I just remember in particular this one as being before I ever saw the movie, seeing that seeing that VHS on the on the uh, video store shelves, and just you know, even when I was getting you know balls deep into horror movies, <laughs> I. Uh, uh, still was kind of freaked out by this poster and what's this movie going to be about yeah. and just, you know, yeah. So I think it's a beautifully designed poster and that's my pick. I remember when I first saw um, House of Thousand Corpses at the end when she like comes out of the ground. Uh, oh, yeah. And I'm like, dude, that is like literally the Evil Dead poster. <laughs> like Rob, Zo- Rob yeah. Zombie saw this poster and made a scene of it. But um yeah, I def I remember seeing the Evil Dead two poster or or VHS tape at Farm King, and I was I'd never seen the movie, and I was like, it has that skull with the eyeball. Yep, it's, it really has nothing at all to do with the movie either. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? And intrigued the hell out of me. And then you know, Army of Darkness, the classic Ash like as a king with the girl on his leg, and oh yeah, and what great what, franchise? What's great? Well, what's great about all those posters in the franchise? And like you said, two really didn't have anything to do with the movie. I mean, the one poster, you know, I mean, that obviously does not happen in the movie at all. Um, but you're not pissed off or disappointed. You know, the movie's strong enough on its own. It's not like the old Roger Corman movies, like galaxy of terror with this like beautifully painted, um, poster with like this, uh, this girl with half of her clothes ripped off being attacked by this, by this giant sized, um, space monster with a skull head and all this stuff. And it's like, that's not in the movie at all. Yeah, the the canon posters that they created before they made the movie. Yes, exactly. Um, to sell the movie. So with this, maybe it's because the movie is strong enough that you know that you feel satisfied, even though you don't get what was on the poster. But yeah, it, all is forgiven. All right. Well, I'm going to go next, and oh my goodness, how do I pick? So. Uh, since I know the answer at this point of the other two guys, I, I'm going to definitely pull an insane mic here. And yes, it hurts a little bit, but uh, I wanted, I'm just going to go down my top three. I just can't stand it that I can't pick all these. Uh, the Exorcist poster is just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's literally a shot from the movie. And when you see it in the movie, you just get chills and goosebumps yep. and mm-hmm. You can just look at that shot of that man's silhouette standing outside and just feel it. Just black and white. Oh my gosh. My second favorite, maybe. I just, oh, that's all day. I mean, for a week I've been toiling over this. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> but I'm going to say second place is the thing. Uh, Drew Struzan? Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Just that, again, that kind of silhouette of the guy with the winter cap or hood on and just that light and shards of light flying out of his face you're like what is this what have you have you seen the cosplay that that dude did oh that's amazing right amazing uh you're just you just look at this iconic poster and you're just like what is going on it's just amazing but i'm gonna go for my pick what i think is the most iconic the most ripped off the most uh simple and and yet a chilling poster jaws it's hard to for me to imagine something less iconic just that shark pointing up towards towards that lady swimming on top of the water and just the word jaws up there it evokes everything about that movie seeing that on so many levels it's a great poster it's like you said it's very iconic and 
has been ripped off and satirized and, you know, homaged in so many ways. But just so the simple. art itself is beautiful. Oh, it is. I'm looking right here at a, like a Mondo pin set I have. Um, one is the swimmer and one is the shark. <laughs> nice. It's like it's been done a million you times. You have shoes, don't you, that are Jaws? I do. <laughs> I have the shoes. One's the shark and one's the uh-huh. girl. Um, I have... I mean, I have a bunch of jaw stuff, but uh, at Universal Studios, like every area of the park they have, because, you know, they used to have the Jaws ride and they they still have a lot of Jaws stuff there. They have like a Hello Kitty store and you can get Hello Kitty with like the a paw coming up, you know, and you go over in Harry (laughs) Potter and they have like a Harry Potter. It's like they have Jaws mashed up with literally everything at the park. Such a simplistic... I'm just it's red, white, and blue. It's a Fourth of July to, movie. Yeah, you don't even have to know the movie. You just recognize that poster. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yep. So that's my pick, Jaws. Good luck with that, Tad. You're up next. Well, I Yours am going awesome. with a, a theme because my pick on the last poll position was uh, the Tom Savini special effect. I picked the uh, buzz cut from Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, and I mentioned I just happened to catch it on tube or on uh, Pluto this past week. And so I'm going with one. It's not necessarily my favorite overall. There's so many good ones. I had a very hard time like Jason, but this one I always thought was just perfectly clever and it fit the movie so well. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the Breakfast Club poster. Um, Oh, brilliant. It's brilliant Mm -hmm. because that Breakfast Club poster on its own is iconic. And... Toby Hooper sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre is so goofy and fun. I I actually like it more than the original. I'm sorry, Jason. Um, but I've always wow. had, I've okay. absolutely loved uh, Texas Chainsaw 2. And uh, it just fits the tone perfectly. It was the right perfect time. It was the 80s. And it's, it's a goofy, fun movie. So they sort of, you know, they put these disgusting, uh, murderous characters, these, the most despicable people alive in a silly pose from an 80s teen movie parodying uh john hughes and it's just hilarious to see nubbins and uh uh, just you know chop top and just seeing them in that pose bubba and it's just hilarious to me and it's always and like i said it's parodying another poster it's almost it's it's bubba pumping that fist man it's yeah it's almost but it's almost like a bad pick because yes But it's and on the other hand, it's like it's so iconically stupid. I love it. It's amazing. Uh, Jason's got it pulled up here, and I can see in the different thumbnails. There's a side by side comparison of the Breakfast Club to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. Dead on. It, it is dead it's on. Amazing. Dead on. I love how Nubbins is um, Molly Ringwald. <laughs> 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 All right, Andy, and what's your pick? Oh god damn it. Um right? Hey, here's here's something I gotta say. Anything uh from like ninety six to like now is is shit. I it just it's this is my one bitch about this because like it, like you look at like a movie like Scream and like in anything past that, it's just like it's like here here's the cast with their stoic faces and we're we're pretty and we're gonna get stabbed. I mean, there's 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 nothing to it. It's a cast photo. Who gives a shit? I mean, the all the all the good ones are in the past. But I think that you you look at like I think the best ones are ones that show a lot, but they don't really they give you an idea what it's about, but they don't really tell you 
everything that's going to happen. Like you look at Big Trouble in Little China, that has so much going on in it, and it's beautiful to look at, and it tells you what you're in store for. Another what's, Drew's, what's Drew's store? poster, yeah, yeah, and it tells you what's gonna. It tells you what's what you're gonna see, but it doesn't tell you what's 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 gonna happen. So, I mean, I think those are the perfect kind of posters. Um. A lot of people would expect me to say they live, and that's an iconic poster <laughs> with with the sunglasses being pulled down. But um, my favorite is the original Nightmare on Elm Street because you you look at it and it, her eyes are popping open. And do you guys ever, you know, very rarely does a person remember exactly what was in their dream. They only have vague blurs of what happened. They have an idea. And that's like the, the image that is above their head. I mean, she has like two or three razors on the hand and like, there's, it's like a blurred image. It's just like, she's, you're you're seeing the stream of Nancy's consciousness above her head as she's just as she just white woke up from a nightmare, and I think that's so brilliant and that's so it just it tells you exactly what the what the movie's about and what she's up against and I think that is just it's just awesome and I think and just another little tidbit. Some of the foreign posters that I've seen are actually better than some of the American release movies mm-hmm. that are out there, particularly the ones from Thailand. And my honorable mention would actually be a They Live poster from Thailand because it's got so much stuff going on. It's got like all these other scenes in the movie, you know, with like, you know, the cops and, you know, the bulldozers and the, and the homeless camps and Frank and, and Meg Foster. And it gets extra points because I think it's the only poster to actually feature Buck flower and he's in his tuxedo. Yeah. That's a major bonus points right there. Yeah. There, anyway, it's hard to top those old painted posters. I mean, look at the one, look at the burning, the one from the burning is gorgeous there are many yep well all right yeah, those no, are... no, no one picked halloween but you know i i, I love it's it it's iconic I, yeah but it, it it's not to me the best and, and like friday 13th they're, yeah. they're really good oh just yeah don't, don't uh i don't know just don't hit it for me as far as like the most and i'm rep- looking up best at the representation monsters. I'm looking up monster at the squad. monster squad right now, and that's that's beautiful because you know it's got the monsters in the back, and all the kids are sitting on the Cadillac. I mean, that's that's way up there too for me. Yep, there's some really good ones out there. Well, all right, get your butts over to Twitter. These are the ones we had to pick. We had to narrow it down, so we got these four. So you go to AOT at AOTKP. Vote for your who you think got it right. Your favorite poster of these four and. And that's pole position. All right. Thanks, Jason. Welcome, Mike. It's time to talk about some movies. Do it. Yeah. Okay. So these, again, to remind you that these are movies where basically our antagonist, the villain of the film, I guess you could say, um, uses video cameras in some capacity, some kind of camera in in some capacity of the film. So, um Tad, why don't you start us off with the first movie? 
Our first movie of the night is from 1960, and it is Peeping Tom. Look out! Look out! Look out! Take care. You are being watched. We repeat, take care, for you are now alone with a killer. We warn you, don't let him see the fear in your eyes. For this is what he seeks, and this is why he kills. Where are you? Where are you? Look out for Carl Byrne as the peeping Tom. Fear him, but pity him also. It's no good. Watch out for Moira Shearer as the lovely stand-in who innocently dances into danger. Imagine. Someone coming towards you who wants to kill you, regardless of consequences. A madman? Yes. Wait! Look! Anna Massey is the girl who falls victim to the charms of a lonely stranger upstairs. Switch it off, Mark! Mark, switch it off! Maxine Audley, as the blind woman who senses the danger that threatens her and her daughter, but is helpless. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. Hot. So put that camera away! There is no future for anyone who tries to befriend him. He invades the privacy of innocent people till the piercing eyes of his camera meet the terrified eyes of his victims. And with a compulsion akin to madness, he shoots the final fearful scene. Okay, well, that didn't leave much uh, to the imagination. I, <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, I'm, I can I can talk a little bit about it, but it seems like th- I'm glad I did not watch a trailer before watching a movie because um, I had never seen this before. It was a first time watch for me, and uh, apparently this is sort of a classic. So that might surprise some people. But uh, loner Mark Lewis, played by Carl Bohm, who I absolutely loved in this movie. Um, works at a film studio during the day and at night takes racy photographs of women. He's also making a documentary on fear, which involves recording the reactions of his victims as he murders them. He befriends Helen, played by Anna Massey, the daughter of the family living in the apartment below his, and he tells her vaguely about the movie he is making. She sneaks into Mark's apartment to watch it and is horrified by what she sees, especially when Mark catches her. Yeah, this one rules. Uh, I, I love this era of films. Uh, it's, it's for the time, man, it's pretty, actually pretty damn spooky and dark. Um, like when he's talking about the, his childhood and showing that his father, he says his father was a scientist and was doing experiments by like putting lizards on him and filming it and, and getting a reaction. And some of the, the scenes where he's slowly approaching women with a tripod with like the sharp end right up to the throats as he films them, like some really creepy stuff and i thought a really um great performance uh from the lead so uh, i i really enjoyed this one what did you guys think 
I think for its time, it's brilliant. Like you said, with the father, you know, just kind of just terrorizing this boy just for, you know, the sake of science. I mean, it's just like, man, that's, that's really messed up. Um, the performance of, of our lead, I mean, he kind of put off like a sort of Peter LeRae vibe to me. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, maybe, maybe you guys Accent got that a too. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as you know, I agree with everything that Tad said, essentially. I mean, this was the first time watch for me too. And I'm, I'm really glad it was on this list because it was always something that I wanted to watch. I know that the direct writer, director or whatever got a hell of a lot of flack for this and it pretty much ended his career. But looking back on it now, I'm just like, this should have freaking skyrocketed him in my opinion. Um, the one, the one thing that really bummed me out was the stand-in that he murdered. You know, because I was just like, "Oh man!" Because you were, you were really starting to like her character because she seemed right. like she, she was. Didn't, old. She didn't deserve it. Yeah, she was. So, she was so. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was a lot of fun. You know, I was really getting, really getting mm-hmm. kind of, kind of to like her, and I was just like, "Oh man, don't, don't do her like this, man. That's that's messed up." You know, you, you dick. But, um, I mean, I mean, he shouldn't have killed the prostitute anyway. He shouldn't have killed anybody, but, uh, you, you felt more <laughs> for, uh, you felt more for, uh, uh, Vivian, I think was the, the character's name. Um, yeah. Cause they did, a, they sort of, we got to know her a little bit in the movie. Yeah. 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 You sort of, you know, you got, you got a kinship with her and, you know, uh, the, uh, you know the the blind mother that you know can see more than anybody else. That's a little bit of a trope nowadays, but um, I didn't I didn't mind that. Um, yeah, man. I mean, it was just it was very. There's I've never really quite seen anything like this. You know, uh, you know, up until now. I mean, and this was back. Would you say 1960? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think this was really, really ahead of its time. I mean, nobody's just gonna stand there and let you stab them with a camera tripod for crying out loud. But, um, yeah, yeah, really, really, really good movie. I I really enjoyed this. And this one gets a um, shout out in Scream Four because uh, I think it was. Oh, now I'm drawing a blank. But the character that loves horror movies says uh, that this is the first slasher movie to use the killer's point of view. I remember that from Scream 4. <laughs> oh nice. That makes sense. Yeah, this is a first time watch for me as well. I mean this this movie in particular was a motivation for one of the motivating you know films for this topic. Um because I you know I saw it was on Tubi and I have my little list on Tubi and it just always been wanting meaning to watch this movie and see this movie and always wanting to and then it just sat there so i'm like okay gotta gotta get motivated to watch it i'm gonna have to you know build an episode around it so here we go um but yes i loved it because i've always heard about this movie and um yeah and yeah ruined the director's career at the time and everything and it was pretty scandalous for its time and whatnot and um, because of the controversy around it, it kind of buried the movie when it could have been a pretty big box office success. 
Um, you know, and you get like those those big cinephiles, you know, people like me, who uh, you know will always say things like, "Well, yeah, Psycho is great, but have you seen Peeping Tom?" So that's what made me always want to see this movie. It's, it's because- like the British. <laughs> it's the British Psycho. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, it it just always gets brought up uh, when people talk about Psycho. It's kind of like, oh yeah, you think Halloween was the first slasher? Well, you haven't seen Black Christmas, you know. Exactly. So it's kind of the same mentality. But uh, so it's always intrigued me and made me want to watch it. And I, yes, I freaking loved it. It was very atmospheric. I love, oh, just the the Technicolor is so beautiful. So (laughs) sixties color, I love it. Really, really saturated. Oh, so so just a beautiful looking film in my opinion and um and the performances are great just all the characters really i don't know if it's because it's a british film from the 60s but just all of them all the characters are just really captivating to me really intriguing you know it's felt all, all of them feeling a little bit outside of the norm and that may just be for the way of the times performances are done and stuff like that but uh but but great movie highly highly recommend it Yep, uh, that's four for four. I really liked it a lot too. My first time, uh, I completely agree. The performances were outstanding. I, uh, even uh, Anna Massey, the the neighbor girl. Uh, even though when we first meet her, good lord, she's annoying. Like, shut up, <laughs> super and, no- n- nosy. Yeah, yeah she asks forty thousand yeah. questions. Show me your film. Doesn't even let them answer any of them. So <laughs> go back, go back to your goddamn party, lady. right? Yeah. I know, but by you know, you you like her, and you're happy to see oh, yeah. him kind of like her, and you have to stand. And then the, it, yeah. The blind lady is like totally cock blocking. Yeah, she is. And the yeah, the stand and Johnny Walker pretty and, hard too. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, it's a really cool story. My own my only real beef besides the that one girl's annoyingness and, and Tina pointed it out maybe more but like or she said it first and then once she said it, I was like, Yeah. Uh and it's not a complaint that I have with most movies, but it's it to me and, and her, it felt long. Did that happen to you guys at all? I didn't think so. No. I mean, it's, mm, it's no, an hour 40, I mean, 45, and, and like, so it's a little closer to two hours, and I don't know. It just. Wow. It was, it felt long to us, though. Because it was. Maybe that's a slow burn for Jason. Wow. No, it's not. I don't think it was a slow burn. It's just that. Um, it felt repetitive. Yeah, you know, it's it's look and feel and vibe. A lot of the same things kept happening over and over. Maybe it is that Technicolor that just made it all seem like the same ish thing. But but no, it's uh, it was cool and the story was neat and and uh, is uh of of the shortage of murder weapons in horror movies, uh, killer tripod, freaking cool. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was neat. And I can't wait for us to fashion our tripod to at least be a little pokier. So I was questioning <laughs> whether Mike would like this movie or not because the main guy's name wasn't Tom. Mm-hmm. Well, because the movie is called Peeping Tom. Yep. Okay. Sorry, I tried a joke there. His first name was Peeping. Oh. Um, well, and you know, if, if he would have survived at the end, like I could just see him <laughs> in some like, you know, prison somewhere um surrounded by other convicts who've used like cameras maybe their phones to 
tape their victims or whatever. And he was, he would be just like, back in my day, we had to use film to, <laughs> to stalk our women. And <laughs> it's just that, that whole opening scene where he, where he's got that camera under his coat. And I'm like, this is really bulky. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. This movie's on Roger Ebert's uh, great greatest movies list and one of Martin Scorsese's favorite films. Yep, I saw that. Hmm. Yeah, I really love the of the the part where you know when you finally see that he has a mirror on the front of there, and I love that yeah. they never showed the face like that was super important. Yeah, you know, never because your mind's eyes would definitely always worse. So I'm so happy they never showed this amazing death face maybe a one little bit of bitty streak of blood that i that i saw in this yeah. on the blade mm-hmm. like one time so. yeah I, I i like the scene towards the beginning in the uh in the shop where the business guy or whatever goes in to buy all the nudie pictures <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was laughing hysterically at those at that guy's expression as he's flipping through the portfolio thing. And I, and first thing in that scene, there's that little girl that walks in. There's like there's like naked pictures of women all over the walls. <laughs> little on girl, the outside girl goes, of the door. And little girl yeah. go, girl goes in to buy a candy bar. And Brandy's like, "What's she doing in there?" I'm like, "She's buying a candy bar." It made me think of uh, one of the scenes in. Um, was it the brain that wouldn't die? Like how he's, uh, you know, the woman with like the scarring that's not beautiful, whatever. Like there's oh, that yeah. scene uh, in this where she like the oh, model yeah. upstairs turns her turns to the side and she has the scars on her face. And it, I mean, the makeup at, at the time was not great, but uh, it's just funny. Like what at the time, what we view as like beauty standards, it's always like mm-hmm. one side of the face is gorgeous and the other is mutilated. And he's like, I want to, I'm going to take pictures of this. And, uh, he also had a great 1958 Daytona Albatross Deluxe Red Scooter. That I, I was going to say, that <laughs> Tad probably knows what he's riding. Uh-huh. Yeah, beautiful little retro scooter. Uh, like, probably, you know, fetches high dollar now because didn't make a lot of them, oh, but geez. really cool. Yeah. yeah it's just Big old fenders on it, too. You know? It's just yeah, nice so cool. being on a film set in a movie. You know, even yeah, just watching it, it, it's like, man, I. I miss being on a film set. Okay, preaching to the choir there, son. Cool. Yes, Peeping Tom. Definitely check it out if you've not seen it before. Great, great classic film. Should have gotten way more, way more praise back in the day than did. But Andy, what's our next movie? Our next movie comes to us from 2003, and it is called The Last Horror Movie. It's always been a mystery to me why people make such heavy weather of disposing of a body. I mean, if you leave a severed arm and a sack full of entrails at the bottom of someone's garden, of course they're going to notice. making a film of this. We're trying to make an intelligent movie about murder while actually doing the murders. 
You've got to stop it. All this stuff you're doing! Hello. Can you spare us a few moments of your time? Whatever happens, this is going to be your last horror movie. Okay, um, the last horror movie, a serial killer uses a horror video rental to lure his next vic victim. What begins as a teen slasher transforms into a disturbing journey through the mind of Max Perry, a mild-mannered wedding photographer with a taste for human flesh. That is direct from IMDb. Um, yeah, this is probably the, well, not probably, it is the most hardcore of the films that we had to watch for this theme. Um, yeah, basically it's this guy, he, uh, the movie, the movie starts out, uh, as this typical, you know, teenage slasher. It says it takes place in Grand Rapids, Michigan at this really cool diner that I would probably want to eat in. <laughs> Um, but, and then it's just shows like it's, it's been recorded over and, uh, it's just this guy talking and he's going on these killings and his assistant is, is filming him. And it's called the last horror movie because that's the name of the rental that he recorded over. Um, yeah, it's it's done very almost like in a snuff film sense. Um, I got a very strong uh, Henry and Otis from uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer vibe when they you know those they record their their killings together. And as far as I can tell, he's basically he's it's it's kind of like slash his confession, but it's like he's trying to get his philosophical point of view and his artistry through the way that he kills people and the way the way that he does things and he makes you question your own sense of morality and like why are you watching why are you still watching you know and it's got some really disturbing um scenes in it to tell you the truth um like when the the footage of the couple being killed but basically he puts the camera on the person reacting to the other person's spouse that's getting murdered you know so you're not seeing what's being you're not seeing the person being killed you're seeing the person's the loved ones anguished of the person that they love getting killed you know which is a really really different kind of concept uh it's got a lot of, uh, I guess, a psych outs for the viewer because, for instance, when he goes and he finds this little boy, and you already know he's a psychopath and he's a killer and he's got different M.O.s to try and throw off the authorities so he can't be caught. And immediately I'm just like, oh, God, he's going to kidnap this little kid and he's going to kill him. But... It doesn't turn out that way. He's actually his uncle, and he and he lives like a you know he doesn't harm the kid, and he's you know he actually puts on a very normal facade for the people that that know him that he knows and that he loves. But I mean, he he even says at one point he, he just goes, "I could kill all my friends right now, but you know that'd be like you know too difficult or whatever." 
Um, yeah, the guy's like a full tilt, you know, complete psychopath. And uh, there's there's some great kills in this. I mean, when the assistant the assistant catches the groom having an affair at his own wedding, and then he eventually the Max sets the guy on fire, like in the middle of that garage. <laughs> like, god damn. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then there's the, the the fact that he's so calm when he's killing people and how he's how he's talking. It's like he's when his assistant, you know, he's he's trying to teach his assistant how to kill people, and he actually apologizes to the woman that he's about to kill. And he says, "I'm sorry, this is his first time." And I'm just like, good God. And before I hand it over to any one of you guys, there is a very not so subtle uh, um, cut, you know, pardon the expression, but there's a not so subtle cut from when he's dismembering his assistant that he just killed to a big gigantic plate of meat on the table. So you Mm -hmm. automatically know where the hell this is going, but, uh, not the most disturbing movie that I've ever seen, but uh, yeah, I mean, you you, you kind of got to be ready for this. What are your guys' thoughts? Jason, you should go. I'm waiting. I'm I'm good. I'm just waiting. Okay. Tad, what about you? I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, I mean, fun's probably a bad word to talk about this movie, but... Uh, I thought for, I don't know, we're, we sort of had that huge wave of found footage type stuff, but this done, this had its own twist on it, its own um, unique vision of it. I thought it was pretty creative and cool. Uh, neat little, just a neat little movie. Like, and an, it packs a punch in like an hour and 15 minutes. It's really short. Mm-hmm. And it f- definitely, f- you know, they... They did what they could with what they had, and it actually lends to the style. Like it makes it more believable, um, and the idea that oh, you know, like it makes it feel more like an actual home video is what I'm trying to say. Like it, because they probably had nothing to work with, and it actually helps in this instance. But um, just a cool, cool concept, um, well executed for what they're going for. It's not something I will put on again anytime soon it's not like a feel-good movie by any means and i like andy said i've seen films that are uh more gruesome and mean-spirited but uh it definitely isn't for it's not a feel-good movie at all <laughs> yeah i i've always liked this movie um fangoria um this was one of their many attempts at trying to do movie distribution um and I think this is the best thing that Fangoria has ever put out um, under their various production labels that they've done. Um, I can't remember whatever inspired me to watch it. Maybe it was a maybe it was a rental originally. I don't you know. I read about it in Fangorian and intrigued me. I can't remember either. Yeah, but uh, but I had to own it on DVD, and I do. Um, I. Lo- I just I really enjoy this movie a lot. And I think it is very cleverly written. Uh, yeah. It's got some of the some of the I I think some of the best dialogue in just about maybe any horror movie because of the end scene. And I wanted to know your guys' opinions of the end scene there. Like, granted, um, 
There's definitely a lot of separation by what they're attempting to do versus the reality that we're living in. Um, you know, because we're watching it either streaming or DVD, and this movie was obviously made for the VHS rental market, and it's supposed to pull that kind of switcheroo on you there at the end, where where I feel like, and even watching it on DVD and owning it, I still get that little sense of uneasiness of like oh, he starts shit. talking to you, yeah, when he's literally yeah talking to you. And I, I just feel like it's so well written and performed. You know, um, fake William Defoe did a really good job um, <laughs> in his performance as Max in this movie, because uh, he's basically telling you at the end, like, this is real. Um, you rented this movie expecting one thing, and and as soon as this is over, expect a knock at the door. You know, and it's showing you know shots of him stalking people who rent the movie and following them to their house and stuff. And I just I just thought that was all brilliant. And even mm-hmm. you know, it's just a little bit of little bit of dread. And I tried willing brandy, but I didn't do a very good job. Like as soon as the movie was over, I pretended like oh, there was such a knock a good at the actor. door. Yeah. I was like. Oh, did you hear that? You better go answer the door. She's like, "Stop it!" <laughs> so, yeah, I just you didn't go. You didn't go full in and like, uh, like transfer out. it to a VHS and be like, "I someone left this in the mailbox." <laughs> I should have. I totally should have. One of these days, I want to prank <laughs> somebody. I'll prank somebody with this movie, and then like as they're watching it, just be like, "Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom and wait till the movie's over," and then like ring the doorbell at just the right moment or whatever. It's like you hear stories of people who watch The Ring. And their phone rings right at, as the movie's over, and it freaks mm-hmm. them out. You know, that's that's what I want to do to somebody with this movie because it's it's set up so good for it. it really, it's is. set up so good. Um, and you know, Andy mentioned the fake outs. There's a couple of really good fake outs that really has some cool tension in it. Like again, like Andy said, when he comes up to that little boy, and the the dialogue is very um, ambiguous. Where uh, you don't get a sense that they know each other until you realize, oh, it's his nephew and he's taken him home to his sister's house and all this, that, and the other mm-hmm. thing. Or the scene where, because we learn throughout the course of the movie is why he has this assistant is because his assistant um, wants to learn how to kill. And so he's basically teaching this like guy how to kill. And then when you learn that, it cuts to a shot of Max's best friend being choked out by by the assistant and you then you come to find out that it's um just like she's she's just rehearsing a part for a play <laughs> so it would that was a really cool fake out too that you're like mm-hmm. oh no and there's a lot of cool other like little suspenseful shots of them stalking somebody with with the camera guy just in plain sight if the person just turns around and looks and sees the camera guy which is the setup for the killer to strike too because when they do see the camera guy, that's when Max jumps in. But you just get these like long two or three minute shots of them stalking this person. Like the woman in the kitchen is a great example of that. Um, or she's just doing dishes and the guy's filming her and you see just Max on, on the outside of the door frame waiting for her to uh, come walking into the room so he can attack her. So oh. Also got a Annie Brackett uh, strangulation Halloween kill in the parking lot too. Yeah. Which is- oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got. I feel like it's got an interesting commentary on, uh, you know, you know, us horror fans and you know, watching violence and stuff like that without it being he overly calls preaching. Us out in it too, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Why are you still watching? Why are you? Yeah, I'm calling us hypocrites in a sense. Yeah. yeah, and you brought up the scene where, which was an, which was an experiment of his when he's killing the couple, and the camera is on the other person while he's killing the other person. Where you're seeing the reaction, and then a cut, then he moves the camera to the dead person, and all you hear his him is killing him, and then he comments on that. He's like. You were wanting to see what was actually happening, didn't you? And you know, you're sitting there thinking, "Well, yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. I really did." I'm like, "Why am I watching this dead body when you're killing somebody off camera?" <clears throat> just, I, you know, just great, right? I, it's such a unknown movie. This is this maybe goes. I may have to do a, an insane Mike top ten list about movies that I. That I preach the gospel to of movies that people are not familiar with, and I want them to know more of. Because I always talk about brutal massacre and how I have to, I have to, yeah, I have to, I climb the climb the uh, the tower and scream from the tower on how awesome that movie is. And this is another one that falls in that category. Yep, I'm completely with completely with you. It's just such a cool concept. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's just really neat. Uh, not the the several concepts, I guess especially where it turns at the end and um i yeah with what tad said it's great to see like such a obvious low budget movie like lean into its low budgetness and use it to its advantage and it's all that it could be for sure i just this last time watching it i just as as much as i agree that the writing's good there's just i just uh i'm like Fake Willem Dafoe. I'm like, I'm just maybe it's a little much. I don't know. It's just it's a lot of him, and and, and I'm glad he's uh, can definitely carry this movie. But there's there's sometimes I'm just like, man, like like he's talking. too much, yeah. or that it's overwritten, overwritten. Okay, and there's just too much of him talking to me on the TV. But but no, it's it's great though. It's such a cool idea that it's a completely worth watching. You need to see it. Need to see it, but good luck finding it, right? Yep. This was a challenge for everybody but me because I own the DVD. But but it is on YouTube. I yeah, ended I up watching ask, it, it that way once um, just with some weird subtitles. But, yeah, it's out there. Rent it on VHS. That's the way to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, it, it, and I think part of the reason why this movie just – was not on anybody's radar is that it was made to be a movie that was rented on VHS from a video store. That was the purpose of this movie. And it kind of came out right at the death of VHS yep. and video stores. It's too bad, so. yeah. <clears throat> but like you said, still at the end when he is breaking it to you, you're like, oh, this is creepy as F. Yeah. For real, still. Even still, though even, it, no, it doesn't work. It. I own it, and I've watched it several times, and it's. I still get that little bit of a little like bit of tingle. I will shit my pants if my doorbell <laughs> rings right now. Yep. Awesome. Cool. I'm really glad. I'm really glad to hear you guys enjoyed this one. Um, yeah. This whole episode was like a means of me getting some movies off my chest. Like I mentioned, Peeping Tom was one I had to see, and I just needed that extra push. Um, but these, this film and the last film are movies that, again, I preached nonstop of how much how much I love these movies and just want my friends to see them. So I make an episode to make, force my friends to watch these movies. 
So and so everybody's wondering what's the next movie. Then? Uh, yeah, I was what just could gonna, it be? I was going to say all those things. As much as pe- uh, watching Peeping Tom was a reason to get us to watch it, it was clear within two seconds of this last movie that this is <laughs> completely why all these movies are on the list. So you can make us watch them because Lord knows you've been talking about it since it came out. I won't shut up about it. You this won't. One. And now maybe we can get a break now that we've all seen it, or now you'll want to talk about it more. But anyway. Probably more. Pretty cool movie. It's uh and 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 you just went on another Adam Rifkin kick for like six episodes before this. So yeah. you're like, this just comes to a head for you, I'm sure. <laughs> when we talk about watching the 2016 film Director's Cut. Herbert Blunt? That's Blount. 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 Oh, you. Who all bought a line in the movie? Oh, me, me. I bought a line. Action. It's like they're... Action. David, be quiet. David, be quiet. Action. It's like... And anybody can then have access to all this footage from any computer? Yep. All you need is the password. Hey, Missy, I love you. I got a tattoo. David, can someone get security, please? Get this fucking guy out of here. I'll take a race. I'm taking this. No, no, no. Who the fuck is this? This is my dressing room. You cannot be in here. You need to be quiet. You need to be. No, no, no. You need to be very quiet. An actress named Missy Pyle has gone missing. This is crazy. I mean, where is she anyway? Why can't we find her? Missy, the martini shot is up. Just read the lines right off the cue cards, okay? Very attractive. I work in movies, so I have a good idea how evil works. We're a great team. I take filmmaking very seriously. It's my calling. It's like they're hunting humans. Herbert Blount aspires to replace the real director of a movie and make it his own by capturing the lead actress and inflicting much horror upon her in his version. Directed by Adam Rifkin. Written by Penn Jillette. Starring Missy Pyle, Penn Jillette, and Harry Hamlin, among others. This is such a wonderful, non-traditional film from the beginning. Yay. Because I, 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 we were like, did we get 
the wrong movie? Are we watching the wrong? Just from the get go, you're like, oh, what? I, I, right? I, I love how Andy posted in the message. It's like, um, is there supposed to be a commentary track? Uh, that was actually me. I'll take <laughs> no. Or that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was Ted. Yeah, right from the get go, we're listening to an audio commentary track while watching a movie, and then there starts to be. Uh, him scratching out real names and putting in his name. And I just, the way it unfolds, uh, it's just so great. Cause you're like, oh, he's just a wacky guy to, oh, I think he really likes this girl. Oh, he really likes this girl. <laughs> oh, this is getting not okay. And just, yeah, just watching that unfold is so great. Penn did such an awesome job. Oh, he's so not only in, this. in it, but yeah, the writing is what made this so neat. Such a neat thing. I, I just movies like this, and I'm, I'm sorry to jump in. No, um, take it. Movies like this, with the way it's written and the way it's put together, it just it it goes beyond my comprehension. Like the the thought process. How did you get there with this? Yeah, yeah. Like how how did you get there, and how did you manage to make it all work and fit together how does the script look yeah yeah because it's it's part found footage because it shows a lot of the the raw footage of him walking around on this movie set with the camera interspliced with this quote-unquote real movie interspliced with him doing a commentary track over the whole thing yet we're still getting a full storyline amongst all of this jumbled mess of what's of what we're seeing Uh, and hearing of this newly cut movie from a filmmaker who's completely not a filmmaker, Penn. <laughs> trying to be a, yeah, gosh. And it's very meta. You know, I love that shit. Big time. Because everybody in this movie, except for Penn, are themselves. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, the, the actress that he's stalking in this movie is Missy Pyle, and it's the real actress, Missy Pyle, who is playing a cop or an FBI agent in the movie within the movie. Um, and you know, and you got like, uh, and you know, and the cast itself is just so, so tons of cool cameos in it. Gilbert, Gilbert Godfrey shows up, Teller himself. And probably my favorite part of the whole movie within the movie, <laughs> the, the guy who gets off on the, <laughs> so funny. Anyway, um, you know, and, and, uh, Oh, and Lynn Shay as the the police detective, or not uh, the police captain? Chief. Sorry, police chief. That actress from Insidious. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, and there's that she moment calls it all out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's like, uh, you know, in these days you have to have a female, strong female lead in that role. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and it's got such great, it's got such great satire on making of movies and. Movies of that genre, the, the whole, you know, I'm going to say it, thriller, oh, oh. crime thriller genre. You know, I, I love how, you know, he's talking over the scenes where, like, in particular, the scene with the uh, the guy on the tower shooting people and how it's blatantly, blatantly. And he's like, I'm, I'm just so confused in these scenes because yeah. is this supposed to be a flashback? Is this what's happening now? But it's clearly not our killer, you know? And, yep. you know, it's, it's, yep. th- and it's those things you do see in those type of movies. And I just love how it's called out. And 
Yeah. And the fact yeah. the way that he's dressed, the way that he's in, that he is, when he's in scenes in the actual movie, he looks so insanely out of place, like uh-huh. when he's running around from the shooter or in the <laughs> McDonald's or what. <laughs> Not an actor. And well, I, the fast food scene is awesome. Oh, oh God. But, and the one thing that just blows me away is just like hats off to Harry Hamlin. I mean, he made, <laughs> he made vapors look m- even more stupid than they actually look. <laughs> I mean, that thing was just like a smokestack. It was ridiculous. Oh, the over the top, over the top gore and, uh, which is, which looked good. It was awesome, but yeah. just so over the top and. That makeshift shower, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, this is cold. Yeah, yeah. As we get closer to the end, and and we learn that uh, Penn's character, uh, what was his name again? Blount, Blount, Blount. Henry was it Herbert Henry Blount? Blount? Herbert Blount. Yeah, Herbert Blount. Um, decides that he's going to be the hero, the male hero of the movie, so he can be in scenes with Missy Pyle and how he splices, he green screens himself into <laughs> oh, shots of the movie. My, one of my favorites besides the running scenes, which are hysterical. <laughs> it was like running in place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my favorite scene where he spliced in is the, is the, is the sex scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, like when they show the original sex scene, he's just talking so much crap about the dude, the lead actor. Yeah. So funny. He's like, you know, uh, he's only, she's only doing this because she's getting paid and, know he just like ragging on the whole thing to that you know we know that she's acting and she doesn't really like it and then when we see him when his character gets introduced into the movie within the movie then we see that exact same scene only he has green screened himself over top of the main actor i don't think talking about this movie can ever really do it justice i know I mean, it's like you really have to experience this to actually really appreciate. appreciate. I mean, that's with any movie, of course. But, I mean, really, in this case, you really have to watch this to actually really grasp what the hell we're talking about. Exactly. That's been my dilemma since the first time I ever watched it. Because I, I can't do it justice on what, you're, what you actually see. Yeah, really clever. I'm a big... Uh Penn and Tyler fan, but you know, going back to bullshit. And I sort of oh, told Nikki love was, Absolutely. When we started watching this, I told Nikki, I was like, this is sort of like um if they did bullshit on the film industry. Uh, <laughs> totally. And, is, and, yeah. and, and he and he has like a new show, or not new show, it's been a couple of years now. I'm not sure if it's even still on, but basically like try to trick us type thing. Yeah. Stump where, me or something like that. Yeah. Or? And it's like and it sort of felt like that where he like he's always him him and uh Penn and Teller have always been sort of known to be the uh magicians that will lift a curtain and show off how some things are done and then turn around and like flip it on you and it's like this is sort of like that in a way where he's he's lifting up the curtain on how movies are done um from you know behind the scenes a little bit but with his dark sick humor mm-hmm. and yeah that's what I, I i've always loved his humor i have i actually own his books on uh atheism and and i think he's such a smart uh great voice and I, i've always admired him so uh, i had no idea he made this movie so i'm glad that you added to the list it's it was fantastic oh, good i'm so glad to hear you guys like this movie because it's it's my favorite movie i've seen in the past i don't know 10 years maybe uh, it's and i've always been a huge penn and teller fan since i was a kid and 
I mean, I've got, I've got, you know, books and videotapes and just have always followed their career. Um, uh, um, <clears throat> they have a tape. I think it, you can actually find it on YouTube. It's called cruel tricks for dear friends. And it, and it, again, it's kind of like last horror movie where, um, it only really works in the age of VHS, but it's got all these really cool pranks that you can play on your friends that you actually use the tape when playing the pranks. One of which is huh. that uh, the tape came with like these fake labels for a window cleaner that you put on a bottle. A window cleaner had a specific name on it. And the prank is, you know, you tell your friends come over and you're like, you got, I have this new cleaner that is so strong. It's the best cleaner ever. And you're supposed to have the tape playing and then you spray it on the screen and then you, and then you, go to wipe it off and the image on the tape, you're supposed to go in a certain pattern. You, when you wipe the fluid off because the image will distort every, everywhere your hand goes on the screen and you're supposed to freak out and be like, Oh my God, it ruined my TV. You know, it's got just a ton of really cool <laughs> pranks like that. It's a really fun tape, but yeah, I've always been a huge Penn and Teller fan. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't want to watch, watch the movie, man. <laughs> It, that's my suggestion, man. Just watch it. It's streaming on a lot of places right now. Um, I'm hoping there's a physical media, a physical version out there somewhere because I want to own this movie. Maybe if you were a what was it, a crowdfunder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, did you guys uh, watch the the during the credits his little concert thing, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's a lot of people, man. A lot of people. Did you see, did you see the special thanks to the, the the celebrity contributors? I think so. During the credits, uh, or, there were some names that I was like, "Oh my god, that's awesome!" That so and so, you know, supported this movie. Well, I mean, think about all the people he's done magic for who have come seen his shows. How he's met over the years. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been doing this for since I was a kid. And yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, to think, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that he had people helping out and then, you know, be able to get cameos from like Gilbert Godfrey's old friend and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah, definitely. I wonder though, like, I mean, how Adam Rifkin came to be the director of this movie. Cause, and again, again, um, such meta that you see Adam Griffin, who is the director of director's cut is the director of the movie within the movie. And you see him throughout all these behind the scenes shots that he did that, uh, Penn did with his camera. And do you think he's really like that in person or a caricature? It's hard to tell. Cause mm-hmm. I, I listened to some of Adam Rifkin's commentary tracks where he seems like he's a laid back, easygoing guy. And then, but then he'll like do something in the commentary track that you think he's just joking around where he's trying to be a, an asshole or something. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, all the, and all those scenes are, are great. And, Missy Pyle is awesome. She did awesome. She was very cool. And kudos to her for putting herself out there like that because she comes off yeah. as a big time bitch in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when once we really get um, Penn's motivation, rightfully so, that she's a bitch, but she starts off as a bitch. Like the first behind the scenes is just her and 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 uh, the main guy. What was, what was his name? Harmon. Um, just, uh, uh, Harry Hamlin, Harry Hamlin, um, just bickering about the, about the scene that they're shooting and her getting all pissed off because pants pin is standing there filming the whole thing. And 
That tongue yeah. rapist. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. I guess we can move on. I want to talk about this movie <laughs> for like the next 12 hours, but we can't. We'll just talk about it again on the next episode. So that it concludes the movies for this episode. Um, but there's still more show to come guys. Uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back with the segments portion of the show. You're going to hear a break here at the break. You're going to hear about our, our podcast network, the prescribed films podcast network, our very own podcast network full of so many cool shows, too many to name right now. So listen to this promo. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. And another thing about Director's Cut. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. Okay, it's time for shout outs. It's time for shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. All right, it's a good thing we had this episode today so we could uh, teach some people about some cool movies with cameramen and cameras and directors <laughs> and photographers because there weren't a whole lot of responses, but we got a few. And on our Facebook page, we just, well, on all our socials, we asked, what are your favorite horror movies with killer cameramen, directors, photographers? And we got first on the Facebook page, Nick Leadham, Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, that's a cool, yeah, I like that uh -huh. one. I like that one. Man Bites Dog. Yep. That came to mind, especially mm -hmm. when uh, having the last horror movie on there. And I think, I wonder too, if that was another reason why last horror movie was kind of buried because Man Bites, Bites Dog came out first and it got a lot of recognition. So, but honestly, and I, as much as I do love Man Bites Dog, I still think last horror movie is better. Hmm. And then Nick also says, still haven't seen Peeping Tom yet, but that would probably make the list if I did. Well, it should. And it did. after this episode, hopefully you will be watching Peeping Tom. Don and Ellie says, might be a potential spoiler, but Death Walks on High Heels, which was a decent enough jello, uh, while the quasi-jello blow-up would also count. The genre has tons of good entries, but those... Would include huge spoilers that I doubt I can mention them like I did for Death Walks. Uh, maybe not technically what you mean by killer photographer, but uh, we'll also throw Shutter, Shutter on the list. I've seen none of that. I always feel like Don's making up movie titles. I know he's not. No? Shutter sounds cool. It reminds me of Shutter. And then we got our pal, the Reebster, Mike Reeb. He says, I can't think of a whole lot, but I'm going with Sinister. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? It's kind of part of that lore of that bad dude. 
Uh, nothing on the group, nothing over on Instagram, but we had a couple on Twitter. We got, oh, I'm take that back. We have one. Uh, we got Brian Godzilla attacker Brian, and he has, and these are great. Okay, cool. How about right. Creep and Creep Two? Yeah, perfect. Right, perfect. Yep, you yep. nailed it. Those are great. And I, I I yelled one out um, oh. in our in our group chat as a honorable mention um, one hour photo. Yep, yep. Robin Williams, absolutely. One of my favorites. Really good. Well, you still have time to leave us a voicemail if you think of one between now and then. And uh, if you do, we can always play it on the show for you. Um, you give us a call at four one five nine five two six eight five seven or four one five nine five eight o t k p. Leave us that voicemail. We'll put you on the show. And that's shout outs. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome, Mike. And now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, close your eyes, and try not to scream in terror as we do <laughs> recasting with Christian Slater. salutations and welcome to the hell that is my life and the reason my agent has gone into hiding recasting with christian slater i don't want to be here any longer than you do so let's just pull this band-aid off as fast as we can shall we today we're going to be reading from a 1996 collaboration of tarantino and rodriguez called dust till dawn and if you're a glutton for punishment you can stay for some outtakes that didn't make the cut for the show today <laughs> reading for the part of texas ranger earl mcgraw is heavy metal legend and prince of fucking darkness ozzy osbourne <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, and it's just and it's a delight to see you again, Jackie boy. For the last time, I'm not Jack Nicholson. My name is Christian Slater. That's why I love you, Jackie. You're always in the method. Oh, I'm in Christian. Do I even look like fucking Jack Nicholson? And why are you winking at me? You're the best actor of my generation, Jackie boy. I'm now convinced you're actually Christian Slater. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Reading the part of Pete is series regular Don Knotts. How you holding up, Donnie? Christian? What month is it? Is it day or night? Don't worry, Don. Just read and we'll see if we can get that phone call you were talking about. Okay. As long as the family meets the demands. Moving on. Reading the part of Seth Gecko, made famous by George Clooney, is equally handsome Bullwinkle Moose. 
Why, um, thank you, Christian. Thank you once again for having me. I'll have you know I'm a big fan of this film, particularly the discounts at the Twitty Titty Twister. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Last and definitely fucking least, reading the part of psychopath Richie Gecko when properly fucking cast is Gary Busey. <laughs> I shouldn't be, <laughs> I shouldn't be uh, hopping down this rabbit hole, but Gary, why are you holding your side? Unbeknownst to me, I have recently donated a kidney. <laughs> <laughs> because that's something that you don't fucking notice. Well, you know, I got people coming in and out of my place. I never know if they are real or figments of my imagination. <laughs> I'll get that law. <laughs> Holy shit. Anyway, I'm at home telling these people about my LSD trips with Janet Reno and a mule. I say goodbye and go to bed, right? I remember that party. Janet gave me your number. Anyway, the next thing I know, I wake up in a kiddie pool filled with tartar sauce and my kidney is missing. The same thing happened at Rocky's bachelor party. And the crazy, the really crazy thing is I was shaving a zebra. I thought it was another one of those fruit stripe gum commercials, so I just went with it. Waking up in a kiddie pool filled with tartar sauce isn't fucking crazy. Why should it be? That's how I sleep. <laughs> of course it fucking is. I can sympathize with Gary on this one. I once had both my kidneys removed because I don't want my alcohol filtered. It turns out my kidneys got better without me, so the bastards put them back in. Oh, God damn it. Scene fucking one. Let's go. Fade in, exterior, liquor store, day. A convenience store in a Texas suburb, no other businesses surround it. The sign on top of the store lights up. It reads, Bainey Worlds of Liquor. Title card, Big Spring, Texas, 100 miles east of Abilene, 345 miles east on the Mexican border. A Texas ranger pulls into the parking lot and... And a real live Texas Ranger, Earl McGraw, steps out. McGraw is in full Ranger uniform, button shirt, cowboy hat, boots, mirror shades, tin star, and a Colt revolver on his hip. It's about an hour and a half before sundown, and McGraw is off for the day. The only other car in the parking lot is a 1975 Plymouth. Interior, Bainey's World of Liquor, day. A young Hawaiian shirt-wearing man named Pete sits on a stool behind the counter. A few close-up stormers fiddle about. A man wearing a black suit, black tie, and wire-wim glasses holds hands with a pretty blonde girl in cut-offs and bare feet. They look through magazines. Another black suit-wearing man holds hands with a red-headed girl in a prep school uniform. They look through the beer cooler in the back of the store. Both girls are around 17. McGraw enters the store. Hot goddamn day. Haven't felt it a bit. Been inside with the air conditioner blasting all day long. 
Not even for lunch. I'm by myself today. Ate my lunch out of the microwave. McGraw walks over to the beer cooler as if done ritually every night. Takes out a beer, pumps it open, and joins Pete by the front counter. Jesus Christ, man, that microwave food will kill you as quick as a bullet. Those burritos are only fit for a hippie high on weed. Pull me down a bottle of that Jack Daniels so I'm getting tight tonight. What's the matter? Oh, it's just been a miserable fucking shit-ass day every goddamn step of the way. First off, Nadine at the blue chip got some sort of sick, so that mongoloid boy of hers was working the grill. That fucking idiot don't know right shit from Ross Krispies. I ate breakfast at nine, was puking up fucking pigs in blanket about 10.30. Isn't there a law about something against retards serving food in the public? Well, if there ain't, there sure ought to be. Who knows what's going on inside of Mongoloid's mind? You could sue the shit out of her, you know? That kid belongs under a circus tent, not flipping burgers. You can own that fucking place. What the hell am I going to do with that grease pit? Besides, Nadine's got enough cross to bear just taking care of that potato head. Then all this Abilene shit happened. You hear about that bank robbery in Abilene, didn't you? That's all that's been on the box all day. They killed some people, didn't they? Four ranges, three corpses, and two civilians that took a lady bike tail of hostage. Pete doesn't say anything. They probably make a run for the border, which will bring them right this way. And if I get our hands on those shit ices, we'll be taking pay. We'll be we're talking payback time. We'll get them all right. All out of peace. I'm gonna use your commode. Knock yourself off. McGraw drops his last drip of beer, crushes the can, and exits into the bathroom. The black-suited man by the beer cooler turns around and, with the prep scroll girl in tow, walks rapidly toward Pete. We see that the young girl is crying. Do you think I'm fucking playing games with you, asshole? <laughs> Do you want this little girl to die? Or that little girl, or your bosom buddy with the badge, or yourself. I don't want to do it, but I will turn this fucking store into the wild bunch if I think that you are fucking with me. The two men in black suits are notorious Abilene bank robbers Seth and Richie Gecko, the Gecko brothers, and the other cus and all and the other customers are all being held hostage. Seth is the one with the plap girl. Richie is the one with the blonde. Everybody speaks low and fast. What do you want from me? I did like you said. <laughs> you let him use the toilet. No store does that. He comes in here every day and we bullshit. He's used my toilet a thousand times. If I told him, he'd, if I told him no, he'd know something was up. I want that son of a bitch out of here in his car and down the road, or you can change the name of this place to Benny's World of Blood. Richard, holding tightly the hand of the terrified girl, leans next to Seth's ear and whispers something. Seth looks at Pete's. At Pete. Were you giving that pig signals? 
What? Are you kidding? I didn't do anything. Richard whispered something else into Seth's ear. He says you were scratching. I wasn't scratching. You calling him a liar? Pete controls himself. I'm not calling him a liar, okay? I'm simply saying that if I was scratching, I did, and if I did scratch, it's not because I was signaling the cop, it's because I was scared shitless. Richard speaks for the first time in a little calm voice to Seth. The ranger is taking a piss. Why don't I just go in there, blow his fucking head off, and we can get the fuck out of here? Don't do that! Look, you asked me to act natural, and I'm acting natural. In fact, under the circumstances, I think I gotta get a fucking Academy Award for how natural I'm acting. You asking me to get rid of him, I'm doing my best. Yeah, well, your best better get a hell of a lot fucking better, or you're going to feel a hell of a lot fucking worse. The toilet flushes. Everybody be cool. You be cool. <laughs> Everybody goes back to what they were doing. McGraw steps out of the back. He appears to be unaware of the situation. Yeah, I'm going to get you brought back at it tomorrow, so tonight I'm going to sit in front of the box and just drink booze. How much is the bottle? Six fifty. Out of nowhere, Richard whips out his forty-five automatic and shoots McGraw in the head. McGraw goes down streaming. Fucking hell. Ozzy, don't talk. You're dead. I am? Yes. I don't feel dead. No, no, you're not really fucking dead. Here, play with this ball of string. <laughs> Richard stands over him and shoots him twice more. Seth charges forward. What the fuck was that about? He signaled the ranger. I didn't. You gotta believe me, I didn't. When they were talking, he mouthed the words, help us. You fucking liar, I didn't say shit. Richard shoots Pete and Pete falls down behind the counter. Seth grabs Richard and throws him up against the wall. What the fuck is wrong with you? Seth, he did it. You were by the beer cooler with your back turned. I was by the magazines. I could see his face. I saw him mouth the words, help us. While Pete lies on the floor behind the counter, bleeding from his bullet wound, he opens the floor safe and pulls a gun from it. Seth releases his brother. Start the car! You believe me, don't you? Shut up and start the car! Richard walks away from Seth and crosses the counter. When Pete springs up, gun in hand, he shoots Richard in the hand. Richie falls back to his knees, howling. Both Pete and Seth spray the, the store with gunfire. Seth dies down the aisle. He reloads. Pete ducks behind the counter. He reloads. Richard has crawled to safety behind the aisle. The two girls have run out screaming. Richie, you okay? He shot me in the fucking head. I told you he said help us. I never said help us. Well, that don't matter now because you got about two fucking seconds to live. Richie. Yeah. When I count to three, shout, shoot out the bottles behind him. Gotcha. 
One, two, three! The two brothers start firing towards the counter. They hit the bottles of alcohol on the shelf behind Pete. Pete is crouched on the counter as glass, debris, and alcohol rain down on him. Seth grabs a roll of toilet paper from off the shelf. Richie keeps firing. Seth douses the paper towels with lighter fluid, sets it on fire with a zippo, and tosses it. The flaming roll of toilet paper flies through the air. The fireball lines behind the counter. The entire counter area immediately bursts into flames. Pete screams from behind the counter. Seth smiles to himself and stands. Ricky shakes his head in amusement and stands. Pete runs out from behind the counter engulfed in flames, in flames still holding his weapon and firing. Seth and Richard hit the ground, firing their forty-fives. Pete, the human torch, falls like a tree onto a hostess pastry display. Seth and Richie rise from the rubble. Exterior, Benny's world of liquor, day. They exit the store squabbling. The, the store is bursting into, splame, into flames. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Buy the roadmap and leave. What am I supposed to do, Seth? He recognized us. He didn't recognize shit. Both Seth and Richard stand opposite sides of the car. Seth, I'm telling you, the way he looked at us, you especially, I knew he knew. They both climb in the car, Seth behind the wheel. Seth starts it up. The souped-up engine roars to life. We can hear Seth mumbling under the motor. Low profile? Do you know what the words low profile means? The Plymouth tears out of the parking lot backwards, hits the street, and speeds off down the road. We crane up high to see the car leaving the trail of dust behind it as the store burns out of control. All right, now time for some of these outtakes that didn't quite make the cut. As you can probably notice that um, chaos ensued during these during these cuts and our censors wouldn't actually let us put these on the show so i'm gonna take this to page 56 and this is bullwinkle as chet take one pussy 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 all the pussy must go at the titty twister we're slashing pussy in half <laughs> This is a pussy blowout. Make us an offer on our vast selection of pussy. We've got white pussy, black pussy, Spanish pussy, yellow pussy, hot pussy, cold pussy, wet pussy, tight pussy, big pussy, bloody pussy, fat pussy, hairy pussy, smelly pussy, velvet pussy, silk pussy, naga hide pussy, Snappin' pussy, horse pussy, dog pussy, mule pussy, moose pussy. If you don't have it, you don't want it. Moving along to page 59, we have Don Knotts' Chet. Donnie, take it away. Take one. Take advantage of our penny pussy sale. Buy any piece of pussy on to a regular price, you get another piece of pussy of equal or lesser value for a penny. Now try and beat pussy for a penny. If you can find cheaper pussy anywhere... Fuck it. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my Last but not least is page 34. We had another mishap. 
playing, uh, what do we have here? Uh, playing Bullwinkle is Cake. Take one. Richie, will you do me a favor and eat my pussy for me? You bet your sweet ass, Moosey. <laughs> God damn it, Gary. <laughs> This concludes Christian Slater's recasting. We'll catch you again next week, folks. I can totally see Bullwinkle. In my mind's eye, I see Bullwinkle and Gary Busey dressed as the Gecko Brothers. And that's it. <laughs> For this episode, we will be inducting a woman director who is who does not have a very big body of work, but whose films has made a lasting impression in the world of Insane's Picks Flicks. For this uh, for this episode, Insane's Picks Hall of Fame, we induct Jackie Kong. Jackie and her mother moved to Hollywood when Jackie was only 16 years old, so that her mother Anita Liu could pursue an acting career. Jackie started making short films in high school, then later attended California State University Northridge, where she met filmmaker Bill Osco, the maker of the sexploitation film Flush Gordon, who she ended up later marrying. Her first film was in 1983 with the horror film classic known as The Being. Jackie made The Being when she was 26 years old. At the time, she was taking acting lessons from Martin Landau, and as the story goes, she only took the lessons so she could talk Martin Landau into acting in The Being. Martin agreed based on her passion for the film and the fact of that she was just um, so truthfully and honest about her intent. And the being, and so she ended up. So she ended up getting um, Martin Landau in the film. The being also stars Jose Ferrer, uh, Ruth Buzzy, and Dorothy Malone. Uh, the being is about a mutated creature that wreaks havoc in a small town in Idaho. Uh, the film takes place on Easter and was even originally called Easter Sunday. Just in case you're looking for any good Easter themed horror movies to watch this year. In 1984, she made the screwball comedy Night Patrol, starring such people as Linda Blair, Billy Barty, The Unknown Comic, J.P. Morgan, Jack Riley, Pat Morita, and even uh, the first film appearance of Andrew Dice Clay. Now, her third film, Coming Back to Horror, is the one she is the most well-known for. We're talking the 1987 classic Blood Diner, the film that a lot of people consider to be the unofficial sequel to Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Feast. It was originally intended to be the sequel, um, where they were going to call it Blood Feast 2, but at the last minute, the the decision was made to rename the movie, and um, it became Blood Diner. Now, Blood Diner is a very bizarre horror comedy about two brothers who are persuaded by their uncle, who is a brain and two eyeballs in a jar, to uphold the ritualistic cannibalism of their ancient Egyptian cult of Shatar. They kill young women in order to resurrect the Egyptian goddess. <clears throat> if you have not seen um, if you have not seen Blood Diner, I highly recommend it. It is streaming on Tubi. It is definitely a sight to behold. Very funny, lots of good gore, and um, it's just a lot of fun. So we honor Jackie Kong, a strong indie female f- filmmaker. Uh, at a time in a highly male-dominated industry. Now, she only made like four films uh, during this time, 
Um, um, so if you think her films are, whether you think her films are good or bad, she has been a great role model for others for not letting anyone stand in her way of her art. So for Insane's Picks Hall of Fame for this week, we induct Jackie Kong. Very nice. So that's it, folks. That is this episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. And uh, special thanks to the attackers out there for help keeping the show going. So cool. You too can, again, be an attacker um, and get all the extra bonus content by going to jointheattackers.com. Please go there. Check it out. Um, Your support helps keep the show going. So until next time, uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh no, could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the-